The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Transformational Healing, With your host, Dr. Bonnie Morrow, there are a variety of techniques for hands-on healing that can help you move closer to your vision of good health. In our program, we discuss both the business and science of dealing with different aspects of the healthy community with specialists in various energy practices. Now, here is Dr. Bonnie Morrow. Hi, this is Dr. Bonnie Morrow, and welcome to Transformational Healing. We're so glad that you're here today. And we do know that you're out there and listening, so thank you very much. Today, our special guest is Dr. Stephen Cheney, and he is an expert in many fields of wellness. Welcome, Dr. Cheney. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, he is currently professor. Pro, I'm sorry, professor emeritus from the University of North Carolina, and uh, you got your BS degree from Duke and your PhD in biochemistry from UCLA. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. I've All moved right. around a little bit. I would say from one coast to the other coast. So today, would you like to tell us some more about you, your background, and before we go into our, our questions and what we have for our listeners today? Well, I guess just to give you a little bit of background, I uh, taught at the University of North Carolina for 40 years, primarily to dental and medical students, uh, teaching them basic human metabolism, nutrition, and um, Really enjoyed uh, all of that time, and at the same time, I ran an active cancer research lab. So um, I was—I've been involved in research for my entire forty-year career. And when I retired four years ago, I really wanted to continue with that. So you know, I've been you know, over the years in teaching. One of the things I realized is that there's so much myth and misinformation out there about nutrition and wellness, lifestyle, all of those sorts of things. So I really, I decided I would really like to put together a weekly blog to really kind of clear that up. And so I call that blog Health Tips from the Professor. It goes out uh-huh. on a once a week basis. Oh, sorry, did you want to speak? No, 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 I was just listening. Okay. <laughs> I, I call it Health Tips from the Professor. It goes out on a weekly basis. And uh, what I really try and do is to take the headlines that everybody sees and then go back and analyze the papers behind the headlines and sort of kick the tires a little bit. Look at them from the viewpoint of a biochemist, somebody who understands human metabolism, but also somebody that understands the design and interpretation of clinical studies. So I analyze them as a scientist. 
and really give people useful information in terms of which of these studies uh, they can take to heart and which of these studies they should just ignore. Great, great, great. So uh, tell us the truth about genetically modified foods. And, you know, one of the things when you start telling the truth, you manage to annoy everybody <laughs> to, a certain, to a certain extent. So, you, you know, we seem to have uh, two extremes with genetically modified foods. Uh, on the one hand, we have people that feel that all genetically modified foods are evil. They're going to harm you. Uh, we should ban them all. Um, and there are, other, there are other people who will tell you they're perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with them. This is all hysteria. And as usual, the truth lies somewhere in between. So let's step back a minute and look at this. When we think of genetically modified foods, there has been an, a genetic change introduced where a foreign gene has been introduced into that particular, that particular crop, that particular food that we're going to end up eating. So you've got foreign DNA in there. Now, that's not necessarily something that has been... Um, that's, that's, you know, been, that we don't, that's not necessarily something that hasn't happened before. We've been doing plant breeding for generations. But, um, you know, it's uh, something that, that uh, now we're introducing genes from different organisms. So it is fundamentally different in that sense. And, you know, there's a theoretical concern. You could, in our intestines, those foreign genes could be incorporated, incorporated in intestinal bacteria. And they could be expressed. Now, the probability of that occurring is very, very low. Um, but it does, it's not zero. So, again, it's something that's very low. It's not zero. It's never actually been observed. But that theoretical possibility is there. Uh, perhaps a more real possibility is every one of those foods has a foreign protein in it. And that foreign protein, we know that people can develop food allergies to protein components. So it's very likely that people will have food allergies to some of these components. And if you've known people with food allergies, you've known sometimes food allergies can be very severe, even life-threatening. Uh, the problem with food allergies is they're very different to quantify, difficult to quantify. So we know that those food allergies probably exist. How big a problem that is, we don't know because it's very difficult to quantify. So when, but when we move beyond the foods, this is where the whole genetic, uh, the genetic modification and the fear of it starts to get on shaky grounds. So if you take ingredients, things like sugars or oils that have been purified from genetically modified foods, there's no protein left in it. There's no genetic material. There's no DNA left in it. They are chemically and biologically indistinguishable from the um, from the food from the you know, from the food that was the ingredient was purified from non genetically modified foods. So those people who want to support labeling laws that say that not only should foods who are genetically modified be labeled as GMO. Um, but we also should label everything that has an ingredient made from genetically modified foods and non-GMO. That's not something that's scientifically uh, sustainable. That's not scientifically accurate. So from the viewpoint of the scientist, you know, again, I look at it and say it would be incorrect to say that genetically modified foods are completely harmless. We know that they can cause harm. But to say that we should label every ingredient 
from a genetically modified food as GMO and should be fearful of that really doesn't make sense from a scientific point of view. Uh-huh. Well, I'm hearing you, you say that uh, we shouldn't avoid them? So what I'm saying is that um, we should be cautious about genetically modified foods. Um, for many people, they're probably going to be completely harmless, but we should be aware that you could have food sensitivities to them. But if you're looking at ingredients made from genetically modified foods, things like sugars and, and fats and those sorts of things, um, then, no, there's no reason to avoid those. Okay, all right. That, that's good to know. That's good to know coming from a scientist uh, rather than the hype that we get on the, on the TV. Yes, like I say, you get, you get both viewpoints, and they're radically different, and neither side seems to think the other side has anything useful to say. <laughs> sort of like politics. Oh, and speaking of which, we've got a, a presidential election coming up, don't we? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so maybe we could ask them that question. Oh, and, heaven help us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what is the best diet for weight loss, Dr. Cheney? Well, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting question because there's so many diets out there and there's so many diet proponents for their favorite diet, whether it's Paleolithic, whether it's low-carb, whether it's low-fat. Um, the varieties seem to be endless. And the reality is that we are all a little bit different. What works best for one individual won't necessarily work well for another individual. Um, so to a certain extent, we need to find out what diet works best for us. Now, if you look at it from a scientific point of view and you say, what are the studies, uh, you know, what do the studies show for long-term weight loss um, and, and, and more importantly, for long-term health, it's probably the Mediterranean diet or something called the modified DASH diet. DASH was a diet program that was originally designed to uh, reduce blood pressure, reduce hypertension. Uh, reduce the risk of stroke. And those two diets are the ones that have the best evidence behind them for long-term benefits, for example, in heart health, cognitive health, um, even other things uh, such as cancer and diabetes. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So that is the uh, Mediterranean diet. Mediterranean and a modification of the DASH diet. Those are the two that in the scientific literature uh, are the ones that have the best evidence at present. Uh, I do not know what the DASH diet is. Can you tell us what that is? The DASH diet is not that different from the Mediterranean diet. I think the difference is the DASH diet was American bread, so you're not talking about olive oil. Um, I don't think they really talk much about omega-3s either. Those are both important part. Fish oil and olive oil are important part of the Mediterranean diet. Not so much on the DASH diet, but the DASH diet is, you know, as you might predict, because it was one to reduce the risk of stroke and hypertension is low in salt. Um, but the main thing is it has a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, it has uh, lean sources of protein, complex carbohydrates without a lot of sugar and without a lot of, uh, uh, without a lot of simple carbohydrates. 
So, you know, it's pretty much the same sort of thing if you really get to it. If we avoid the junk foods, we enjoy avoid the convenience foods, um, and all the snack foods and that sort of thing, and start eating more fresh fruits and vegetables. My goodness, have we heard that somewhere before? Um, we do pretty well. It sounds to me like you've fruits and vegetables, and that's what that's what our mother told us, didn't she? <laughs> that's right. Yes. Okay, so let me just ask you, does chocolate help you lose weight? Oh, that's one of those myths out there. Um, and I'll, I'll come back to myths in a minute and how they get established. I mean, that's probably a good question in its own right. But that myth is actually based on some, some reasonable clinical studies uh, where, which are what we call associations. That's sort of a layman's term for it. But what these studies show is that people who are overweight consume less chocolate. Uh, so there's an association of low chocolate eating with people who are overweight, high chocolate eating with people who are leaner. Now, the question with associations is they never prove cause and effect. Um, you don't know whether those people who are overweight are overweight because they didn't eat chocolate or maybe they're not eating chocolate because they're overweight. You have absolutely no way of telling how that association arose. <laughs> and there was a very interesting study done a few years ago in which they, they did the same sort of study. These were associations, but they looked at the same group of people five years apart. So they ran the associations at the beginning of the study, and sure enough, the people who were overweight consumed less chocolate, and the people who were leaner consumed more chocolate. But when they looked at those same people five years later, those people who were consuming more chocolate gained more weight over that five-year period. And as they gained weight, many of them started modifying their diet, and guess what? They started eating fewer desserts and less chocolate. All righty. Okay. So I guess I better put clean up my candy dish, hadn't I? <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, chocolate is a perfectly good food. It's got some great polyphenols, especially the dark chocolate. We just have to keep that in check. Um, you know, a piece of, jar of dark chocolate along with a healthy meal uh, is probably not necessarily a bad thing. It's the snacking on that box of chocolates between meals that kept <laughs> us into trouble. I hear that. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Dr. Bonnie Morrow's passion is to make healing available in every home around the world. You can find out more about Healing Touch classes available wherever you are. Dr. Bonnie is here to share her knowledge and expertise in energy medicine as both a teacher and facilitator. To use Healing Touch for those you love, contact Healing Touch Texas for a class schedule. You can contact Dr. Bonnie via email at HealingTouchTX at AOL.com or visit the website at transformational-healing.org. We all want to live a healthy, vibrant life. With so many toxins in our world, it becomes an uphill battle. 
Inflammation is the premise of all disease and comes from four sources of toxins. With a proper understanding of toxins as well as proper detoxification and nutrition, disease can be avoided. Tune in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan and learn how you can live a clean, whole, and healthy life in a toxic world. Start your journey Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Transformational Healing. To reach Dr. Bonnie Morrow or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to HealingTouchTX at AOL.com. Now, back to Transformational Healing. Hi, welcome back. This is Dr. Bonnie, and you are on Transformational Healing. And today we have a very special guest. It's Dr. Stephen Cheney, who was the basic science teacher of the year several times by his first-year medical students and was also recognized with a Medical Alumni Distinguished Teaching Professorship from 2005 to 2009. And just before we went to break, we were talking about chocolate. Dr. Cheney has told us that we could have maybe one piece of dark chocolate as a dessert for a meal, but probably not too turn our candy dish upside down and help ourselves. Uh, Dr. Cheney, do artificially sweetened drinks help lose weight or do they actually make you gain weight? And if so, why? You know, that's a big question and it's controversial right now. So I can't give you one simple answer. Uh, I think all of us can recognize that over the past 15 or 20 years, the percentage of artificially sweetened drinks and artificially sweetened foods in the American diet has increased dramatically, and it's paralleled the increase with obesity. So if these artificially sweetened foods were, were supposed to prevent the obesity epidemic, they clearly aren't working. Now, the interesting thing is when you do the clinical studies, and again, these are association studies, so they're not looking at cause and effect, um, and there, there are two ways in which these studies are done. One is just looking at associations, and in those studies, people who consume artificially sweetened beverages over a period of time are just as likely to gain weight as people who are consuming the sugar-sweetened beverages. There are some other studies which come to the exact opposite conclusion, but those are studies in which... Um, they, the people have been followed by a dietitian, so they're getting regular dietary, dietary advice. They kind of a dietitian looking over their shoulder 
to make sure that they're not that everything else that they're eating uh, is the same, which whether they're in the group that's consuming artificially sweetened beverages or sugar sweetened beverages. So if you think at it from that point of view, sure, artificially sweetened beverages have fewer calories. So if you keep everything else the same, you'll lose weight. But in the real world, it doesn't work that way. And, and that's where the controversy comes in. We really don't know why that is. It could be because um, it could be physiological. Some people believe that the artificial sweeteners cause either an increase in desire for food. Maybe they lower blood sugar levels. But it could also be psychological. People feel I'm so good about uh, you know drinking these artificial, artificially sweetened beverages that I can go out and have a McDonald's hamburger and French fries and all of the all of the other stuff. I understand. Uh, what about the the artificial sweeteners that are in the drinks? Does that well, go ahead. does that cross the blood brain barrier? And again, that's, that's not clear. In some cases, the answer is no. But there are other cases in which it appears that they can cross the blood-brain barrier. And um, there are some behavioral uh, effects that have been attributed to some of those. But the problem here is that not all people are affected in the same way. So in those cases in which there are problems with the artificial sweeteners, it is a subset of the population. And again, that's what makes it so difficult to answer this kind of question. If you just do a clinical trial and you look at everybody, your answer is, well, it's probably, they're probably not having an effect, or if it is, it's extremely small. But if you look at those, if you really suddenly look at a subset of the population who are sensitive, the effect is clearly measurable. Okay, thank you. So, I would like to switch gears just a little bit and talk about supplements. Um, and I personally am a Shackley person, but that doesn't, I'm not pushing Shackley, but I would like to know from you, uh, do supplements work or are they just a waste of money? And, and this, is, this is another great example of uh, looking at clinical studies and I think a lot of times when we ask that question, we're asking it in the wrong way. We're really asking the wrong question. So from a scientist, and I'm probably going to use some fancy words here. I hope I don't throw anybody off. But if we do studies where we're looking at primary prevention, now a primary prevention study is typically a very large study in which everybody is healthy at the beginning of the study. And then we say, does a particular intervention, taking vitamin E or a certain B vitamin or something like that, is that going to reduce the risk of disease X? And if you ever, whenever you ask those types of questions, it's very difficult to show an effect of supplementation. Uh, I will add that it's equally very difficult to show the effect of common drugs that we all believe work, such as statin drugs. When you're starting with a group or where you exclude people who've already had any heart disease, you can't really show that statin drugs will prevent a heart attack. So the same thing is true for vitamin E, B vitamins, whatever it is. Well, the question we really should be asking is, uh, are 
you know, does supplementation make a difference where people have increased needs? That increased need could be due to poor diet. It could be due to a disease process that increases their need for certain vitamins. Um, and it could be due to genetic variations, natural genetic variations. When you look at those population groups, that's where you see the supplementation making a huge difference. And the bottom line is, if we knew ahead of time that we had increased need, um, I think in many cases we, we have a pretty good idea whether a diet's good or not, but in terms of maybe an underlying disease process that might increase our need for a certain nutrient, and certainly in terms of genetic variation that increases our need for a certain nutrient, you know, we almost never know those sorts of things ahead of time. I understand. So let me ask you one more time. Do you think that supplements are a waste of money? Uh, I, I don't. Um, you know, I use supplements myself. Um, I use Shackley supplements, I think, probably for the same reasons you are. But, you know, I'm not going to try and say that there aren't other supplements out there that might do a great job as well. I think you have to look at the quality of the supplements. You have to use, look at the integrity of the company. You have to look at the clinical studies that back the supplements. Um, but, you know, in terms of, for most of us, I think that um, since we don't know what our needs are ahead of time, the cost of taking the supplements compared to the cost of dealing with the illness down the road is really minimal. Okay, uh, and do you think that um, there are good supplements and not-so-good supplements? Uh, there are clearly good supplements and not-so-good supplements. Um, and I'm not going to go into name-calling on a radio show. That's a sure way to get sued by somebody. But, right, uh, it is. But, uh, yes, um, there are companies out there that are clearly unethical, and the FDA is starting to do a much better job of tracking them down and, and shutting them down. Uh, the problem is it's sort of like if you've ever uh, played that carnival game Whack-A-Mole, as soon as you shut one down, another one pops up somewhere else, or the same company just changes names and pops up somewhere else. So the FDA is clearly overwhelmed at that part. And there are a lot of other companies out there that just stretch the truth a little bit. So or their hype is better than their product. Right. Do so they stretch it a little bit or sometimes a lot? It varies on the company. Sometimes <laughs> sure it's it a little bit, sometimes it's a lot. Yes. So are supplements dangerous at all? So again, uh, no, the answer is really they're not dangerous. And again, that's one of those myths that gets repeated uh, let me kind of go back into urban myths. So what I call urban nutrition myths. So a study comes out, somebody comments on that study, maybe in a blog, maybe an online post, maybe in an article, and it gets repeated over and over, and pretty soon people accept it as true without ever going back and looking at the studies. So when you look at the studies, most of them were poorly designed. Let me give you one for example. The idea that... Um, Vitamin E is actually dangerous. Um, that was when you look at that study. It was it was greatly influenced by 
I think there were two studies in there in which the vitamin E group uh, was also taking hormone replacement therapy. And they, in both cases, they found an association with increased risk of breast cancer. Later on, we found that hormone replacement therapy increases the risk of breast cancer. That was probably the reason why that group had the increased risk. But nobody's ever gone back and corrected that misperception. So, you know, once these things get in the Internet, they just stay there, they keep getting repeated, even doctors start to pick them up and, and, and actually believe them. Yes. <laughs> yes. My heart doctor um, insisted that I give up uh, drinks, um, sweetened drinks. So now I'm, I'm going to go back to him and say, hey, doctor, no, I won't. Well, no, sweetened drink, sweet drinks, and that's a different category. Um, when we talk about sugars, uh, the the and particularly when we talk about sugars, uh, talk about uh, simple sugars. The the problem there really is their their danger is directly related to how much we consume, and the foods in which we consume them. Um, if, if that sugar is consumed as uh, in a meal that contains protein and fiber, um, the body handles it pretty well unless we have huge amounts of sugar. But when we consume it in a drink, um, there's nothing there to balance the sugar. So it gets into our bloodstream very quickly, causes insulin levels to rise very quickly, and that can re- result in inflammation. It can result in a number of things um, that really aren't good for us. So I, I, don't, and I don't recommend sugar-sweetened drinks. I don't recommend fruit juice except in moderation. Um, you know, there are much better beverages that we can consume out there. Uh, green tea, uh, water is, is our beverage of choice. Right. Uh, can you tell me, just before we go to break quickly, the energy drinks, and I'm like you, I don't, won't call out any names, but people drink them for energy. I'm not sure what they have in them, probably sugar, caffeine, Sugar and caffeine and other uh, ingredients like caffeine are the mainstay of those. Um, You know, we're starting to learn that they have some dangers of their own. And whether it's, again, because you have a very concentrated form of caffeine and it's in a drink form with with nothing else there, um, I don't know. But you can look at some of these and they will have two or three or even five times the amount of caffeine that you would get in a cup of coffee. Um, and that can be dangerous, particularly if we're talking about youngsters and adolescents. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, let's go to a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about uh, omega-3 fatty acids. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Dr. Bonnie Morrow's passion is to make healing available in every home around the world. You can find out more about healing touch classes available wherever you are. Dr. Bonnie is here to share her knowledge and expertise in energy medicine as both a teacher and facilitator. 
To use Healing Touch for those you love, contact Healing Touch Texas for a class schedule. You can contact Dr. Bonnie via email at HealingTouchTX at AOL.com or visit the website at transformational-healing.org. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Transformational Healing. To reach Dr. Bonnie Morrow or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to healingtouchtx at aol.com. Now, back to Transformational Healing. This is Dr. Bonnie Welcome back to Transformational Healing, and today our special, very special guest is Dr. Stephen Cheney, and who has done a lot of cancer research, and um, has been, he has been awarded the Excellence in Teaching Lifetime Achievement Award by the Academy of Education, Educators. All righty, so... Before we went to break, we told you we'd talk about omega-3 fatty acids. So, Dr. Cheney, can you talk about that for a little bit? Yes, yeah, so that's another very interesting story. It's, it's a little bit different than the kind of stories I've talked about in the, in the past. Um, but, and these, the omega-3 studies that are of most interest are what we call secondary prevention studies. And I apologize for the fancy scientific term, but that basically means you start with people who already have the disease or are at high risk of the disease, and those are the ones where you do the intervention. Those are ones that are much more likely to show positive results. So it's interesting. There were a number of studies uh, up to around the year 2000, and there were some very. There was a very large Italian study that was published in the 2001, over a period of time, 2001, 2002 or three range. And um, in that study, they found the omega-3 fatty acids in people who had already suffered a heart attack were very effective at preventing a second heart attack and were, in fact, as protective as statin drugs. And then we fast forward a few years, and there are some recent studies which have shown which have been reported to show that omega-3s were totally ineffective. They had no effect on the risk of, of, of a heart attack in somebody who was at high risk. Well, there are a couple of things that have happened in the ensuing decade or decade and a half. Uh, one is that we've redefined high risk. 
in those studies in which the omega-3 fatty acids were very effective, high risk was people who'd already suffered a heart attack. In the subsequent studies, high risk was defined as people who had risk factors, maybe diabetes or something else. They hadn't necessarily had a heart attack yet, but they were at high risk for other reasons. But the other major thing that had happened uh, around, you know, in the period when those original studies were done, uh, people were on typically one or two medications most for heart disease. Uh, that's, that's changed over the past uh, decade and a half. Nowadays, the standard of care for somebody who's had a heart attack or considered at high risk of heart disease is four or five medications. And it's unethical to do a clinical study in which you don't use the standard of care for both groups, both the uh, control group and the intervention group. So all of the people receiving the omega-3 fatty acids in these recent studies were already taking four or five medications, some of which do the same things as omega-3 fatty acids, but have serious side effects associated with them, but they do the same thing. So, you know, the question has changed. Back in 2000, the question was, do omega-3 fatty acids by themselves prevent a recurrence of a heart attack? In 2015, the question has become, if you're taking four or five medications, do the omega-3s provide any additional protection? And so that's, if you're looking at that from the viewpoint of as a cardiologist, and you're going to put the patient on four or five medications, you know, you're looking at saying, well, omega-3s may not provide any benefit. If you're looking at it from somebody who would who really wants to follow a natural approach to reduce their risk of a heart attack uh, but use as few medications as possible, we are asking the wrong question nowadays. And the question to ask is? The question to ask is, if I didn't take all of those medications, does omega-3 reduce the risk of, of heart disease? Now, I'm not suggesting that you go against the advice of your doctor. Uh, what I'm suggesting is to go against the advice of your doctor in terms of medications. What I am suggesting is you, might, you try the omega-3 fatty acids and talk with your doctor about the possibility of reducing the amount of some of the medications because they can look at the outcomes. They can look at clotting time. They can look at blood pressure. They can look at all of these things where the omega-3 fatty acids may have a beneficial effect, and they may be able to reduce the amount of medication they're prescribing on the basis of the results you're getting. I got that. Okay. So does vitamin E reduce the risk of heart, heart disease? Um, this is a study which gets, now this is another very important point, um, which I talked about previously, and that is, you know, if we, when we just ask in a primary prevention sense, because that's where most of the vitamin E studies have been done, the major ones that you see when, and where you hear the reports, well, vitamin E doesn't prevent heart disease, those are primary prevention studies, which again, uh, if we get past the $10 scientific word, simply means that everybody was healthy at the beginning of the study. Um, they didn't see any effect. But when you 
take those same studies and you look at subpopulations. So, for example, the Women's Health Study, overall, starting with healthy women, there was no effect on reducing the risk, on vitamin E reducing the risk of heart disease. But when you looked at the women who are over 65, there was a 25% decrease in risk. Now, for women, you start, if you, if you, I guess if you know the statistics, women are protected against heart disease until they're past menopause. So when you look at the subgroup that's over 65, um, these are the women who are actually at high risk of heart disease. In that case, the vitamin E was protective. There have actually been several other studies like that. Um, there have been genetic studies in which if you look at some populations who are genetically prone to heart attack, vitamin E is protective, whereas it may not be in the general population. So again, um, when, we're, when we're looking at this and we're saying, uh, when we're interpreting these studies, we have to be very careful in terms of understanding the way the studies were done and what they actually mean. Um, that's why I do the health tips from the professor to try and, and uh, try and you know take, take some of these nuances and, and make them so that you can understand the truth and the limitations from the headlines that you see. But it's also why um, you know it, it, why I say that it's not necessarily you know when we think about supplementation. Those people who are in greatest need are the ones who benefit the most from supplementation. Absolutely. So tell us once again how to be, get on your blog. Go to www.healthtipsfromtheprofessor.com. And okay. once you're there, you'll find a place where you can sign in. Or Thank just, you. Or just view the, the posts that have been uh, Posted there in the past. Okay. All righty. Um, <coughs> so tell me quickly, are there any natural alternatives to medications for ADHD for our kids? And, and the answer is there are. Um, but there, the interesting thing is this is a case in which uh, we really need to look at a holistic approach. Uh, again, I think many people are looking for simple answers, um, and we haven't talked enough about holistic approaches. Uh, supplementation by itself usually isn't enough to create better health. Um, diet by itself is a good start, but we need weight control, we need exercise. Any one of those by themselves really doesn't get us to where we want to be. Uh, we really need to look at everything. And it was actually a very interesting article written a few months ago by a physician who specializes in treating children with ADHD. And just to put this in perspective, this is a physician that usually starts with medications. That's his preferred method of treatment because it's quick, it's easy. Uh, but yes, it does have side effects. Um, yes, you're not getting at the cause. But it's something that works quickly, and, and again, that's what many people are looking for. But he does also work holistically with those families who are concerned about medication, concerned about the side effects of the medication, or who are looking for a more holistic approach. And he, he really uh, wrote a very thorough article. And again, if you just went to 
the health tips from the professor website and you typed in ADHD in the search box, you'd find it fairly easily. But he looked at the various holistic approaches, various natural approaches, omega-3 fatty acids again, and this is typically with supplementation. Um, and what he found was that this was that the omega-3 fatty acids were effective, but they weren't as effective as the medications. So if you were to use omega-3 fatty acids by themselves, in some cases, uh, depending on your particular child. It might be it might be enough to make a difference. In other cases, the desired outcome might be that it would decrease the amount of medications that that child needed. Um, and again, I would comment. I've got a number of articles that I've reviewed on the omega three fatty acids and ADHD. And again, it is if you look at the the children who benefit the most, those are typically the ones whose diets were lowest in the omega three fatty acids to begin with. Those who had the greatest learning deficit to begin with, um, but uh, you know, it's, if you just look overall, it's effective, but it's not going to do it by itself. There are the the food additives, the food colors, and that sort of thing. Again, that was a the fine gold diet was popular years ago. Um, that had been ridiculed, but actually, the studies have come back and said uh, there is a subpopulation. It's not a huge percent of children. It may be 15% um, of the children who do respond, uh, who, who are adversely affected by food colorings, food additives, preservatives, that sort of thing in their diet. So there are some children who would benefit from that. Food sensitivities. Um, you know, we talked about that earlier, but people can be sensitive to all kinds of different foods. And if a child has a food sensitivity that goes unrecognized, that can also contribute to behavioral problems like ADHD. So he goes through a list like that. And the point is that there's no, no one of them that's curative by itself. But if you follow a holistic approach, if you really want to avoid medication, you're probably going to have to do it in a systematic manner and try various holistic approaches and combination of holistic approaches until you find what works for your child. Aha. Uh-huh. Good advice. Good advice. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about Alzheimer's. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Bonnie Morrow's passion is to make healing available in every home around the world. You can find out more about healing touch classes available wherever you are. Dr. Bonnie is here to share her knowledge and expertise in energy medicine as both a teacher and facilitator. To use Healing Touch for those you love, contact Healing Touch Texas for a class schedule. You can contact Dr. Bonnie via email at HealingTouchTX at AOL.com or visit the website at transformational-healing.org. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, 
but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Transformational Healing. To reach Dr. Bonnie Morrow or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to HealingTouchTX at AOL.com. Now, back to Transformational Healing. Hi. Welcome back. This is Dr. Bonnie This is Transformational Healing, and our special guest today is Dr. Stephen Cheney. And he is, we've talked about many things. I want to tell you how to get on his website, www.healthtipsfromtheprofessor.com. And before we went to break, we said we'd come back and talk about Alzheimer's. And Dr. Cheney, this is a scary disease. It, it absolutely is a scary disease. I, I think um, when we think of our health as we get older, the thing that perhaps scares us more than cancer, heart attack, any of those other things, is losing our mind. Uh, you know, what good is having a healthy body if you lose your mind? So it really is a scary scary uh, disease. And the problem is that this is one of those cases in which the medications really aren't all that effective. Um, They can give minimum short-term results, but none of them really prevent that cognitive decline long-term. So the question is, are there holistic, are there natural approaches that can prevent cognitive decline, prevent Alzheimer's? It's a controversial area. We don't really know. But once again, it's likely to be a holistic approach. For example, there are some studies that have shown that B vitamins, um, particularly folic acid, B12, and B6, in combination, relatively high dose, slow the rate of cognitive decline. Um, there are other studies that suggest that omega-3s slow the rate of cognitive decline. But neither of those have been definitive by themselves. Um, there was a recent study that I found very fascinating. Again, it's an, a single study, so we shouldn't put too much weight in it yet. It needs to be uh, repeated. But what this study showed was that it, the reason that we may have had difficulty getting the effect, seeing the effect of omega-3s or B vitamins by themselves, is the two actually work together. So omega-3s are only going to be effective 
if somebody have adequate somebody has adequate amount of the B vitamins. The B vitamins are only going to be effective if somebody has adequate amounts of omega threes. Previous clinical studies haven't looked at that. But beyond that, it is a holistic approach like anything else. If you look at some of the studies where they've seen the biggest effect, um, it's been of a combination of things. For example, there was a study published a year or so ago where they looked at adults 60 to 77 years old, and what they found is the group that, um, I guess they they followed them for a 10-year period, and they, they put one group into a holistic approach program that included exercise, healthy diet, socialization. So, you know, more social connections and interactions and memory training, the sort of thing where you're really uh, training your brain on a regular basis. And they found that people with that combination where it was much more effective than any of those things by themselves. So supplementation is a piece probably with omega-3 and B vitamins together, but the healthy diet, the socialization, the exercise, um, the, the brain training, the memory training, all of those things are an important part of it. And tell me about, excuse me, can you tell me about the memory training? What is that? Well, the memory training, you know, they're online uh, memory training modules. That's not necessarily, uh, you know, that's not necessary by itself. I think what we're, where, we, where we go with this is that we should constantly be trying to learn new things. Um, maybe try and pick up a new language. Maybe try and, if you've been doing crossword puzzles all your, all your life, start doing those Sudoku puzzles. Or, um, you, you do different kinds of things because if your brain is just doing one kind of thing over and over, you kind of hit a plateau. It's no longer as protective. So, we should not be afraid in our 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s to undertake new um, things that require new learning. All righty. That is, that's most interesting. I think that's the first time I've heard, heard about that one. But it's, um, what is the on, no, we don't want to do that. Don't want to suggest one online. Just go online and look for memory training. Uh, yes. Uh, there, there are several companies out there that do that. Um, <clears throat> as I say, that's not necessarily any better than uh, taking on uh, new mental challenges on your own. Right. Right. I, I understand that. You know what? I, Dr. Cheating, would you be willing to be on our program um, another time? To- sure. I'd be happy to come back as my schedule permits. Yes. There's so many things that we can talk about, um, and we've just scratched the surface here. Yes, we have. And I would like to thank you so much for being with us today. I'd like to wish you and your wife, Suzanne, uh, best holiday ever, and uh, thank you so much. You're very welcome, and I hope you have a wonderful Christmas season as well. Thank you, thank you. And our engineer today was Joseph, so... Joseph, happy holidays to you. Thank you for listening today. 
Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow is broadcast live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.